0: Father, we just pray as we come to your Word this morning, Lord, we just pray that it is clear and precise to us, um, that Lord, it is made plain, and Lord, we we ask that you speak to us through your Word this morning, and open our hearts to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, Amen. Anyway, if you could turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, please. A few weeks ago, we looked at chapter 1, in which Habakkuk asked two questions of God. The first question was, How long, Lord? How long will the injustice that is so prevalent throughout Judah prevail? There was almost an accusatory tone to this question because he added, Why do you not hear my cry for help? Where are you? How can you stand quietly by while while all of this is going on. Well, as it turned out, the Lord wasn't either silent or absent. He had a plan, and he indeed answered Habakkuk. And as sometimes is the case, God's answer was not what was expected. And it didn't seem to make sense. In fact, it was not good news. There would be suffering ahead for Judah and for Habakkuk himself. Babylon, the great powerhouse nation of the day, who were infamous for their ruthlessness and violence, they were going to steamroll into town. They were going to punish the kingdom of Judah, destroy Jerusalem and the temple, and then carry the people off into exile. So he had a follow-up question, and that was, why? Why, Lord, are you using these guys who are the baddest of the bad to punish us? Sure, we're not the greatest, but we are certainly nowhere near the level that they are at. And it it just didn't seem right. Why are the evil people inflicting suffering onto the good people? And these sorts of questions, uh, they may not be unfamiliar to us. Why is there so much injustice around us? Why do bad things happen to good people? And how long will that sort of thing continue? And of course when we encounter overwhelming events ourselves we can personalise those questions. Why is this happening to me? Why, when will all this end? And why am I suffering at the hands of others? Chapter 1 ended there and we were sort of just left hanging. Sometimes life is like that, isn't it? Sometimes something happens and we come to God and it appears that we are just left hanging. Well, let's go to chapter 2 and verse 1 and see what we should do in these circumstances. Right, I am in the book of Jonah. That's not of much help. Here we go. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected." Having asked his questions Habakkuk stood watched and waited upon the Lord. He anticipated that God would actually answer his questions. You sort of get the sense that he is saying I don't understand why you are going to do what you are going to do but while I wait for you for an answer and for some understanding I will do so humbly, reverently and at the same time honouring you. And I think that's a bit of a key, isn't it? Expect to hear from the Lord but do so with the right attitude. And look at what Habakkuk said at the end of verse 1. He was willing to be corrected as part of this process. Is that how we are in that sort of situation? Are we prepared to watch and wait on the Lord? Are we humble and willing to actually take on board what he has to say? Are we prepared to be wrong and thus corrected? Well, In verses 2 to 3, God begins his reply. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come, it will will not tarry. Now, there's a number of things that we can take from these verses. Firstly, the word of God is the answer to whatever we are facing. In this case, he speaks directly to Habakkuk and instructs him to write down the vision for the benefit of others. His word should be our first port of call. Secondly, the vision was to be made plain. His word should be understandable to us. It's not meant to be some great mystery. We may not grasp every single minute aspect of it or how it all works, but we should be able to gain a good understanding of the overall picture. And there's a bit of a takeaway here for those who teach the Lord's word. The goal of teaching is to make it plain, accessible, and understandable. You see, Habakkuk received the revelation of God directly. He understood what was being said to him, and he wrote it down. When we teach this vision, or any other part of God's word, we need to understand the subject matter of what we are teaching. And it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? We need to have knowledge and understanding of Scripture. Um, There might be a little bit of homework involved with that. Understand it so that you can explain it clearly. Make it plain. And thirdly, the vision of God is written down so that he who reads it may run. God's word was not just revealed for Habakkuk's benefit alone. It was also revealed to equip others. And it's here to equip us so that we can go forward and run. Quite often we want the Lord to talk personally to us, and he's more than capable of doing that. But as is often this case, everything that we need is already recorded for our benefit. If we read God's word and apply it, then we too can run forward. And lastly, this vision was revealed for an appointed time. So not only was this revelation for the day that Habakkuk received it, but it was revealed for a time beyond that. Parts of it was given to equip those who were present there and then. Parts of it came about several years later during the exile. And as I mentioned last time I preached, this prophecy is just one step in God's ultimate plan. That plan has been fulfilled fulfilled throughout history and it has also been fulfilled today and the final fulfilment is still to come. One thing for certain is that his word will come to pass. I mean, why else do we in 2022, do we read and study a revelation that was spoken two and a half thousand years ago? God's word is written for the benefit of others to equip them. And it has been fulfilled throughout eternity. Okay, so verse 1 is about Habakkuk being prepared to receive God's revelation. Verse 2 was all about what he was to do with that vision. And verse 4 is the start of the actual revelation and it brings to us the crux of the message of the book of Habakkuk. Chapter, uh, chapter 2 verse 4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So, what we see here is a contrast between the proud, who live arrogantly by trusting in themselves, while the just live by faith and are trusting entirely in the Lord. Now, starting at this point of this chapter and moving on through the rest of it, this revelation speaks mainly about the Babylonians and what God has in store for them. He he identifies them as the proud, and in doing so, he hones in on their heart. That's their pride. If if you remember back to chapter 1, their God was their own strength. Pride is at the heart of their evil nature and actions. And he cements this by saying that their soul is not upright within them. Now, of course, pride challenges all of us in one way or another. We all have the tendency to want to be the centre of our own universe. And that's part of our human nature. The issue with pride is that it takes the focus off God and it puts it onto us our reliance and our sense of achievement or ability is based on ourselves. God is taken out of the picture in arrogance we can turn our back on the one who gives and sustains our very breath now contrasting the proud is God's principle for his children and this is that the just shall live by faith. Now It's noticeable that in this entire dialogue from the Lord that there is only one short mention of the just. Most of chapter 2 is dealing with the proud, the wicked, the sinful man and specifically dealing with Babylon. But for God's people it pretty much boils down to just three words. The first word is just, what's talking about the just, his children. The word live and the word faith. Now these three words actually bring us a very significant statement, and it's the central message of the book of Habakkuk. The chances are that when you saw what the morning sermon was on, you might have thought, well, I know that he's one of the minor prophets, but I can't recall what he or this book is on about he's probably one of those gloom and doom guys who keeps going on about Israel and a whole lot of other ancient nations. Well, the truth is you are very familiar with the message of Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, it will do, because Paul quotes this phrase three times in his writings to various audiences. It's one of the most quoted Old Testament passages And this makes it a significant statement for the New Testament saints. Paul to the Romans, it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul to the Hebrews, now the just shall live by faith. And also Paul to the Galatians, and you can sort of guess what he says. He says, for the just shall live by faith. Now I'm going to focus on these three verses at the end of today's sermon. We have a lot more sinfulness, wickedness, and dealing with the proud to wade through in the rest of this chapter. So I think it'll be good to come back to this and finish things on a positive. But the the focus at the moment is this contrast between living in pride and living by faith. Pride looks to self versus faith which looks to God. So Babylon was a proud nation. And... um, Reading through verses 5 to 8, it specifically spells out its fate. Chapter 2, verse 5 Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home, because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. Just take note of that statement. He cannot be satisfied. The proud man, that is Babylon, cannot be satisfied no matter what he gains. He is always reaching, he is always grasping, and he is always wanting more. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? That's that question again. How long will this happen? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty. Because you have plundered many nations, or the remnant of the people shall plunder you. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city, And of all who dwell in it. This is God's revelation of the fate of Babylon, and he assures Habakkuk that he knows how to deal with nations like this. The plunderer will be plundered. When the time is right, he will bring his judgment against them. And it happened. At the appointed time, Babylon fell during the 70 years that the people of Judah were held captive. They brought God's discipline to Judah and then later on his judgment was brought upon them and they were gone. That was it. They were consigned to history. Babylon was described in chapter 1 as an incredibly powerful, ruthless nation. They swarmed the earth, conquering everything in sight. Then in a very short time frame they were destroyed. And that is because despite all of their pride and all of their strength, God is much more powerful than anything that mankind can muster. You only need to look through history. Nations, establishments and people arise for a season and just as quickly they wane and they disappear. The one constant that remains is the Lord. So I have an interesting question for you this morning. Do you want the strength of the proud or the faith of the just? Which will remain when all is said and done? Right, we're going to move on to verses 9 to 20. Verses 9 to 20 cover what is called by one commenter, commentator the four woes to silence the proud man. So we're going to move through Each of these one at a time. Now reading through this we get a sense that God abhors pride and he abhors the type of behaviour that pride produces. So the first is woe to the greedy. And uh, we'll be reading from verses 9 to 11. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples, and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. The Babylonians, they they were never satisfied. They always wanted more. And they desired what is termed here as evil gain so that they could build up a nest on high. You see, they wanted to protect what they had conquered and gained and they wanted to protect it from disaster. However, they achieved all of this and the term used in here is the cutting off of many people. And basically what that means is the shedding of much blood. What they had gained and built up was all through greed and by violence. The verdict was, you sin against your own soul. It is abhorrent to God, and this behavior is condemned and judged. The Lord then goes on to focus specifically on their violent nature. And we're going to read verses 12 to 14. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labour to feed the fire, and the nations weary themselves in vain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Their violence and the accompanying injustice were condemned and judged by the Lord. The cities that they built by their own hand through bloodshed, would be burnt down. Their labour would be in vain. God ultimately judges the violent and will triumph over them. And that is what happened to Babylon, who was renowned for its violence. Where are they now? He then brings an assurance to Habakkuk and also by extension to us. Verse 14, the knowledge of of the glory of the Lord will cover the entire land like the water covers the sea. And when we look at that description, it will cover the land as much as the water covers the sea. That would be entirely. A time will come when violence and injustice will no longer exist and the only thing left is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Now this is one of two ultimate assurances that are given in this passage. And the other is coming up at the end in verse 20. Now, what did I title this? Because I think I changed it. Woe to the violent Babylonians. Okay, so woe to the one who delights in others' misery and shame. So I must apologise. That title was a bit of a mouthful. um, But I couldn't find a single word that describes what this section is about. So we'll read through it, and hopefully it makes sense. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 15 to 17. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violent done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid. Because of men's blood, and the violence of the land and the city, and of all who dwell in it. So this is an illustration of what Babylon did to the nations around them as well as to Jerusalem. They stripped them of their wealth and all that they had. And then they took great delight in this. They are compared to a man who makes his neighbour drunk and then takes some lewd pleasure in their nakedness. And this behaviour is also condemned and judged. As is alluded here in, in, in just that passage, Their conquering ways was not just limited to people and cities. They also ravaged forests for their resources and they went on, apparently, major hunting expeditions as part of their conquests and were wiping out animals as well. They truly stripped nations of everything and it sort of reminds me of a swarm of locusts. And again, what is God's response? What you have done to others will be done to you. In fact... The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, and this speaks of his divine judgment against them. They reveled in their treatment of those they conquered, but the final outcome is utter shame instead of glory. Now, the Babylonians, they were next level, but don't we see this sort of attitude on a smaller scale? There are people who delight in the failings, the mistakes, and the downfalls of others. And they may even be behind that downfall. They want to see someone taken down a peg or two. This behaviour is sin and God judges it as such. The final woe is a condemnation of idolatry. Now idolatry is one of those sins that is spoken against frequently throughout scripture. An idolater is someone who puts someone, something else in the place of God and it can be an actual religious idol, or it may be something that is on some level worshipped. People can be idolised. Wealth or philosophies, and there's a whole raft of things. It's something that becomes your God. So we're going to read the rest of the chapter, verses 18 to 20. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it? The moulded image a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mould should trust in it, to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, Awake, to silent stone, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. In contrast to God, doesn't a mute, silent, dead idol that has been created seem ridiculous, worthless, and a waste of time? Yet there's something in man's nature, this tendency to make idols, and in doing so, turn away from the Lord. Now, as with all of these things, the Babylonians were shamelessly out-and-out idolaters. As a heathen nation... They had no desire to serve or even to consider the living God. So we're at the end of chapter 2 and this is the final assessment of, of Babylon. Their strength and their character as a nation consisted of such godless qualities as greed, violence, sadistic delight in having conquered other people and idolatry. And all of it was cloaked in pride. How long, Lord, and why were the two questions at the beginning? Well, the Lord had Babylon's number. He wasn't unhearing or uncaring, and in his discourse he makes it clear that he will pour out his divine judgment upon them at the appointed time. Verse 20 brings the closing statement to his answer. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now this is the second ultimate assurance that is given. All pride, all injustice, all sinfulness, all greed, all violence and all idolatry is condemned and it will come to an end at the appointed time. Despite their might or their wealth, those who practice such things will be silenced before the Lord. So that is where we leave Habakkuk this morning. And no doubt he is in a better place than where he was at the end of chapter 1. He, was, he still had much to go through though. The things spoken of here were in his future. There was much suffering ahead for him and for the kingdom of Judah. But he now knew that the Lord of hosts had everything in hand. He knew the fate of those who were bringing such injustice. And he also would have been encouraged by that key verse, the just shall live by faith. So in closing, we are going to briefly explore the three times the core message of Habakkuk is used by Paul to teach and encourage the New Testament saints. And what we find is that Paul brings out three different aspects of that message about the just living by faith. The first is Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And um, I don't think I've put them up, but I'll read through them. And I'm going to read... Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So, Here Paul talks about salvation. How does someone become just? The gospel of Christ is the power of God to save everyone who believes. The just are justified because Christ died in their place, paying the penalty for their sin. The just live or have eternal life because of their faith in Christ. And I like the way that the New Living Translation conveys this verse. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The next um, reference is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now when we actually... um, look at verses 37 to 38, what we find is that Paul actually quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, which we read earlier. Um, being led by the Spirit, he interprets this message to not only be a reference to the end of the Babylonians, but he transforms it by the Spirit into a reference to the return of Christ. So um, I'm going to read from verse 35 through to 38 just to give it a little bit of wider um Context that starting with the word therefore, so there is probably a bit wider context to go with that, but we we don't want to read the whole chapter. So starting at verse 35, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And here's verse 37, for yet, a little, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. While in Romans, Paul focused on salvation, here his focus is on how to live out that salvation. Salvation. Paul wrote this letter to the Hebrews to encourage them to keep on living as he had taught them. This encouragement was for the Hebrews to live by faith and not by works. They weren't to go backwards and live out their salvation as if they were still under the law. They were to live as a people who were under grace. Keep enduring and remember the promised Messiah will return. The just are to live by their faith. And finally, we come to Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. And again, to give it a little bit of context, I'm going to read through from verse 10 right through to verse 14. Uh, so, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all these things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, and we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So here we see the contrast between the law in itself and the life of faith. Salvation could never come by obedience to the law, the law can only bring a curse and not a blessing. So how is a just person meant to live? Well, they're meant to live by faith and nothing else. So the core message of Habakkuk, while simple, is at the same time of great significance to us. It is an incredible truth that was revealed 2,500 years ago. It is an encouragement to those who are facing hardships and doubts, and it is also the core of how to live Christian life the just person is justified when they live by faith the justified person physically lives by their faith and the just live only by faith not by the law not by works nor any other means let's pray Lord we just thank you that your encouragement and your word to us is so simple. Lord, we are to live by faith. And Lord, we just pray that, Lord, that you, you just encourage each and every one of us here this morning, Lord, and, and those listening online as well. Lord, we just pray that you speak to us personally about where we are on that, on that walk of faith. Lord, I pray for anyone who's, who's going through hard times or, or questioning or have doubts of you. Lord, may they be encouraged by your word. May they be encouraged that, Lord, you do have everything in hand. And, Lord, may they be encouraged that, Lord, they are to live by their faith. Father, we just pray as we go forth from here and as as we um, fellowship together as well, Lord, may we be an encouragement to each other as well. In Jesus' name, amen.